0: Good morning. My name is Melinda McGuire. Please follow along with me in the reading of God's Word from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 56 through 58. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 through 58. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. God bless the reading of his word. Well, it's good to be with you again. Uh, I, I just want to tell you that uh, it, it's, it has been a privilege in many ways, and it's been good to get to see you and greet you and meet you and teach the word with you and learn from you. But I get the privilege of driving from Spokane for two hours, for two hours, and something, and so I'm in the car by myself, and uh, I like music, and so I put on my Pandora and I put on a station I like and I listen. I get to sing loud and nobody can tell me to be quiet. I get to sing any way I want, even off key, and nobody tells me to be quiet. I just had an awesome time to worship God this morning already. It's been just tremendous. I need to share a chorus with you that just literally for me this morning gave me goosebumps because it became so personal. It's a song by Stephen Curtis Chapman and he he wrote it a long time ago and it's the song, My Redeemer is Faithful and True. The chorus goes like this. My Redeemer is faithful and true Everything he says, he will do. Every morning, his mercies are new. My Redeemer is faithful and true. Amen? Amen. Praise his name. Turn to Joshua chapter 15. Let's pray together. God, Father in heaven, I just want to thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you are alive. Thank you that you are true to your word because you are truth and justice and holiness. Thank you that you never fail. Your mercies are new every morning. And so, the Lord, as we look into your word this morning, I pray that you would take this somewhat unfamiliar passage, and you just open our hearts and our minds and our lives to what you have done in ages past and why that is so significant for me and for us as the body of Christ. Thank you for sending your son Jesus. Thank you that he didn't just come, but he lived, he died, and Lord, you raised him from the dead. Praise you for being redeemer We just thank you now. Again, open your book to our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. Chapter 15. Interesting passage, to say the least. The thought for the day. Here's where I'm coming from in relationship to this passage. His promises are true and faithful. His grace is sufficient. Amen? My grace is sufficient. You know that. You've been taught that. The truth of this passage is that it's real. The reality of his grace is sufficient and his faithfulness is there. I like this statement. I don't know where I got it, but I found it in my notes. So I'm going to share it with you. Is this grace-fueled obedience is absolutely necessary for Christlikeness. Grace-filled obedience is absolutely necessary for Christ's likeness. What in the world does that have to do with Joshua chapter 15? Well, we're going to find out because I think it has a lot. In fact, a significant amount of importance to you and me as God's people. I don't like to not pray enough. We're going to pray again. Would you stand with me, please? I'm going to ask you to join hands. I'm going to join hands with you. Guess who's here this morning? Jesus is here. His Holy Spirit is here. His living word is here. Amen? Amen. Father God, we just come to you. We thank you that you have given us your living word. We ask now as we are connected by hands that you would connect our hearts with you by the Holy Spirit in us. That we would recognize who we are in Jesus who you've made us to be as your children. Open your book to our hearts, our minds, and our daily lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Thank you for being obedient and praying with me. Amen. Just a little bit of review. This is a real quick summary. Joshua, three parts, the book. Chapters 1 through 5 is about the entering into the kingdom, how they got from across the sea, as it were, into the new kingdom. 6 through 12 talks about conquering the land, how they went about God's direction to conquering the land. And then this last division, chapters 13 through the end of the book, 24, is about the division or the allotment in the land. Simple is what Joshua's about. So we want to look at, very simply, three things this morning in Joshua chapter 15. You've seen it there. We have the inheritance, The faithfulness and then steadfastness. And that's how uh, we want to look at this this morning and want to look at it more than just logistically because chapter 15 is a book of logistics. It just says, here's what happened. Here's what took place. Powerful. Let me step aside for a moment. Could someone get me a a nap, a Kleenex or something? My allergies are killing me. If someone would just do that for me, I'd really appreciate that. The inheritance. So let's just look at verses 1 through 12. I think, is there some? Oh, there's one right there. Ah, thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. Good. Pardon me. uh, Chapter 15, 1 through 12. The allotment of the tribe of the people of Judah, according to their clans, reached southward to the boundary of Edom, to the wilderness of Zin, at the farthest south. And their south ba- boundary ran from the end of the salt sea, from the bay that faces southward. It goes southward, of the uh, excuse me, it goes out southward of the ascent of Akrabim, passes along to Zin, and goes up south of Kadesh Barnea along Hezron, up to Adar, turns out to Kadar, passes along Asman, and goes by the brook of Egypt and comes to its end at the sea. This shall be your south boundary. And the east boundary is the salt sea to the mouth of the Jordan. And the boundary of the, mouth, the north side runs by the bay of the sea at the mouth of the Jordan. And the boundary goes up to Beth Hagla and passes along north of Beth Arabah. And the boundary goes up south to Buhan and to the son of Reuben, and the boundary goes up to Debir, to the valley of Accor, and south and northward, turning to Gilgal, which is opposite the ascent of Adminim, which is on the south side of the valley, and the boundary passes along to the waters of En Shemesh, and ends at En Rogal. The boundary goes up by the valley of the son of Hinnan at the southern shoulder of the Jebusite, that is Jerusalem. And the boundary goes up to the top of the mountain and lies over against the valley of Hinman on the west side and the northern end of the valley of Rephaim. And the boundary extends from the top of the mountain to the springs of the water Efnettoah. And from there to the cities of Mount Ephron. Then the boundary bends around Bala, that is, Kirath-Jerim. And the boundary circles west to Bala, to the Mount Seir, and passes along to the northern shoulder of Mount Jerim, that is, Chesholam, and goes down to Beth Shemesh and passes along by Timnah. The boundary goes out to the shoulder of the hill north of Ekron. Then the boundary bends around Shikaron and passes along to Mount Bilah and goes out to Jabneel. Then the boundary comes to the end at the sea, and the western boundary was the Great Sea with its coastline. This is the boundary around the people of Judah according to their clans. Isn't that a deep devotional passage? (laughs) Thanks for picking Joshua to preach from, amen? Well, this is a powerful passage. And what we see in these verses is very simple. It's one word, it's in your outline, it's called inheritance. God promised something to the nation of Israel. And right here in the book of Joshua, he doesn't just say, I'm going to promise you a land. What does he say? Here are the specifics. Here are the very detailed guidelines of what I'm going to give you. I'm going to lay it out and map it out for you. Inheritance. Powerful stuff. Why so much time describing this? Why would God take so much time in a book that... As we look at it as Gentiles in this century, decades, centuries past, why would this even be important to us? Well, we're going to find out this morning, because it was, more, it was certainly important to Jerusalem, excuse me, the, the Jewish people, Israel, but it's also important to us in principle and guideline, and we're going to look at that. Uh, why does this, Another question that came to my mind was, why would this appear in the Word of God? Why is this here? Well... I think very simply, it's one word faithfulness. Faithfulness. The inheritance came to Israel. The inheritance came to Judah, this chapter, because of inheritance, because of God's faithfulness. Not because of the Israelites' strength, not because of their wisdom, not because of all the things that they think they could do or not do. It was because of God's faithfulness to his promised people particularly in the beginning to Abraham. It's interesting. We're going to see that you're part of that inheritance. And that's why this passage is so important. I got to go to Israel. It was awesome. It totally changed my thinking of the Old Testament. I had studied the Old Testament most of my life in different ways and places. But this brought the truth. And so guess what? I got to see this land. And I begin to think past with, uh, and going through some of the pictures I took. And I'm going, and that's why the song this morning as I drove was so powerful to me. God is faithful and true. All his blessings are real. And his mercy is new every single morning. Amen? Wow. Wow. Why this passage? Why to the Jewish people? I think very simply, as they go back and review this process, as they begin to look at where they are in the land of Judah, they begin to see these boundaries again and again, and they read them generations later and generations later of what? God's faithfulness to his promises, to his word, to his truth. Another reason I think this is important is the Israelites, plus you and I as Gentile Christians, believers who have come to Christ, need to look at this and realize that this section, this area of Judah that's been given to Israel, is where most of the New Testament truths come place. Almost all of them are in this land, in this particular part of Israel. Now certainly there are other places, Jesus' life, the apostles' life, Israel's going and coming, all took place mostly right here in this section of chapter 15, 1 through 12. Very powerful. Guess how big that is. You can drive from one end of it to another in less than a day. You can cross from from west to east in for surely less than a day. It's not very big. That's not the point. The point is what God did. What God continues to do. Listen carefully. And what God will do. In the days to come. Why? Faithfulness. (laughs) Faithfulness. My God is faithful and true. Praise his name. Chapter 15 gives description of their territory. We read that. Uh, Chapter, excuse me, verses 13 through 19 describe the hill country of Hebron that was given to Caleb. Their towns are described in verses 20 through 63. This is really inspiring reading, let me tell you. 20 through 63 will just turn you on. Really? If, if that does, you please come and talk to me, okay? Uh, and then uh, verses 13 through 15, we see Caleb the fighter. And in, six, in 17 through 19, we see Caleb the father. And we'll, we'll discuss that in just a moment. Judah is coming... uh, Judah is going to be the homeland for the majority of what takes place in the life of Israel. So it, it might seem unimportant, and I don't want to continue to be redundant, but I want this word to get across to you. And the word again is what? Faithfulness. God's faithfulness. What? The God of Israel, the God of his people, is giving them their inheritance, the promise that he had given to them, that he said he would give. Genesis chapter 13, I I know you've read this, but I love this, in verses 14 through 17, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes up and look from this place where you are. He was looking out over the land, and he was up in a high place, as it were, for all the land that you see, I will give, you, give to you and to your offspring, and now listen to this next word, forever. <laughs> he didn't just say, I'm going to give you this next week, and you're going to keep it for a month. That's not what he said. I'm going to give you this land forever. Now, that's not just a metaphorical phrase. I believe that God's word says this is a literal truth, and God's faithfulness I don't know if you understand this, but if you listen to the news of what's going on, even today, what do you see? You see God working out His plan, even in the messed up Middle East. God is faithful, and guess what? That promise is forever. It has nothing to do with politics, although that's involved, or economics, or culture, or any of those things. It has everything to do with God's faithfulness and the truth of the Word of God. God is faithful and true. And he's going to make it sure. He goes on to say, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise. And so here's the command He says, Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, and for I will give it to you. So not only did he say, Look at it, not only did he say, get a perspective of the expanse of it, but I want you to walk through the land. I want you to put your feet on the dirt. I want you to see all of it. Wow. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5. through five. Blessed be the God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to what? A living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the death. For what reason? Here's a great word. We see it in chapter 15. You'll see it in the New Testament. Here it is. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. God not only has a promise for his people, Israel, but he includes that promise to you and I as his children by grace. There's an inheritance that we are going to see and experience. We've already started it. We've already been part of it. It will be given to us. Powerful stuff. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Do we live in a messed up world? It's getting messier and messier. I was talking to Paul this morning about what's going on in China. It's crazy. What are people afraid of? Why is Jesus such a horrible thing to think about, or person to think about? Why living righteously is such a bad deal? You know why? Because men's hearts are evil and corrupt and horrible. And they don't want to be directed. And God says, people, I want you to understand, in the midst of that kind of world, think about what Canaan was like when the Israelites crossed it was the most defiled corrupt immoral de- horrible immoral land for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so when they came in guess why they had such opposition? Because their lives were going to be challenged. Galatians chapter 3 verse 29 says, "And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offering or excuse me, offspring heirs according the promise. What promise? Well, in reality, you need to understand that we are connected with the promise in Genesis. We've been given an inheritance. God's people are going to get a land, and guess what? We're going to be part of that, but we're going to be given heaven. And that's our truth and a reality, and it's a real place, just like Israel, just like the promised land. And we get that. Why? Because of God's grace. I looked up an article from uh, the uh, website Got Questions. it's a great place, about the word inheritance. Let me read it to you, because I really liked it. The Bible is full of reference, references to the inheritance believers have in Christ. Ephesians 1.11 says, In Christ we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. The article goes on to say, "Other passages speak of our inheritance: Colossians, Hebrews, etc. It is the sum total of all God has promised us in salvation." The article goes on. First Peter describes this inheritance further by saying this: "Our inheritance is imperishable, unspoiled, unfading and reserved." Wow. Write down 1 Peter 3, excuse me, 1 through 4. Read it this afternoon. Take some time to ponder this. Because what we see in Joshua chapter 15, we see in reality in the New Testament and the promises to God's people. And guess what? We are part of God's people. If you know Jesus, you're part of God's people. And the promises are true and faithful. This is a dumb question. Is our God faithful? <laughs> now when you shook your head and said yes," you made a big statement. It's one thing to say yes, but it's another this thing to say yes. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you say yes, He is faithful, you're committing yourself to something. You're just not making a mental assent about a biblical idea. When you say God is faithful and you say yes to that statement, you are making a commitment, well, I hope you are anyhow, of who you are in Christ. When we look at Caleb and what he did, and we'll see that in a moment, he not only said that God is faithful, he acted upon it. Why? Because he believed God was faithful. Did he, did he believe he was strong enough to do what he did, is going to do in this chapter? No. He didn't believe he was strong enough, but he did believe God in God's faithfulness. And because of that, guess what he did. We'll look at it in a moment. Pretty powerful stuff. Who, was God, who is God faithful to? Us. In chapter 15, who was God faithful to? The nation of Israel, the Israelites, His people. Those he chose way back when he spoke to Abram. He's faithful to those people, and he will continue to be faithful to those people. I got to meet some incredibly Messianic Jews when I was in Israel. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Unbelievable. God is faithful and true. They recognize Messiah. They know who he is. and When they read the New Testament and the Old Testament, guess what? They're not two books. They're one. And the truth from the old and the truth from the new is living and alive and active and powerful. Listen, today. And it's taking place in Israel. Let me just do an aside. I was talking to a good friend over there who's a missionary with Jews for Jesus. You know, there's been some good things about the pandemic. Some really good things. A lot of bad things, but there's some been really good things. Guess what? One of the good things is the youth in Israel have been coming to Christ more profoundly in the last year and a half than all of the last 25 years. Isn't that neat? You know why? Because they've been shutting their houses for a year and a half. Orthodox Jews, who won't let their kids do anything that's connected with any kind of religious context except Orthodox Judaism, were getting on the internet, and guess what they were discovering? There's books, there's tapes, there's videos about who? Messiah. They're being challenged to read Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. In fact, I talked to one of them, a young man, when I was there in Israel uh, two years ago, a year and a half ago, and (laughs) uh, I said, have you ever read Isaiah 53? And he goes, no. I said, tomorrow when you come back onto the campus, let's meet right here, and you tell me what you think about that chapter. Long story short, he goes, nobody ever read that to me. What? You've never gone through catechism, as it were, for a Jewish person and read Isaiah 53? No, the rabbi never talked to us about that. And so I said, who do you think that's about? Well, you know what the answer was. God is faithful to his people, to his children, and you and I are part of that. Wow. Inheritance, praise God, to Israel, to Judah, and to Caleb. Let's look at verses 13 through 19. Faithfulness. Faithfulness, whose? God's faithfulness here and Caleb's faithfulness is what we see here, 13 through 19. In chapter 14, <clears throat> Uh, Caleb requested for a par, a pl- to be given a place that everybody else was afraid of. He went to God and he says, I want this place, Father. I want this place, God. And, and nobody else would, would ask for that. You know why? Because the place he was asking for was filled with giants. Now, whatever your concept of giants were, are... I really believe these were an exceptionally large people. Not fat, they were big. Okay? They were mighty warriors, the sons of Achan. They were, this place was filled with mighty warriors. Nobody would challenge them. And Caleb went to God, went to, jo- to Joshua and says, I want this land. I want this place. Wow, I think that's pretty powerful the land of giants where everyone else ran away. Look at verse 12 in four, chapter 14. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day, for you heard on that day how Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will, get, will be with me, and I shall drive them out. Listen, just as the Lord has said wow you know how old this guy was he was 85 years old wow oh that i would be that courageous at 85 let alone at 15 or 25 or 45 wow wow we see god's faithfulness in keeping his promise and we see it in the life of Caleb. Why is that important to us? Because guess what? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God in chapter 15 of Joshua is the same God today. He's not changed. What he promises his people, he's faithful to. What he promises you from his word, he's faithful to. Young people, you got to get this. You're going to go into a world day by day in the next months and years that are going to be so hard on you. You better be ready. You better know what God's Word says. Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, you please, I plead with you to be the encouragers, to be the stimulators of those who are under you. That coming up generation. Why? Because they're going to enter into a world that we're seeing today because of craziness. And it's not going to get easier. I was talking to Paul again this morning about China, and I have some friends that uh, have been involved in China for, for decades. And I, I said, how are, how are God's people doing? And they're being oppressed horribly. No, I said, How are they doing? They're thriving. Is it easy? No, it's hard. They're being pressed on all corners and all sides. But guess what? Their spiritual lives are thriving. Why? Because they're connected together as a community. They're connected together because God is faithful, and they see it every day. And guess what? They're not focused on this world. We're not to be focused on this world. We'd be in it, but we're not to be of it. Amen? We're not to be of it, we're to be in it. And to be in it's going to be a challenge. And if you do not understand God's faithfulness, you are going to fall. If you don't get that, you will fall. Isn't that encouraging? I'm supposed to be an encourager, but if you don't get this, if you don't impact this into your life, in these days and weeks and months and years, you will fall. Because that's how hard it is. I pray for my grandkids. Wow. That they will be faithful and true because he is. And they will stand as lights. And guess what? That is not going to be easy. I listen to their conversations as they... I, we, I, I live in a home, our home as my family is upstairs with my granddaughters. And son and daughter-in-law, my wife and I live downstairs. I get to hear the stories every week. And they're strong believers. They walk with Jesus. But some of the things they talk about, about what's going on in their youthful lives, I'm going, you've got to be kidding me. If they are not committed to the faithfulness of God and understand His faithfulness, I I am praying, God, don't let them fall. Let them stand with faith and confidence. Not in this world, not in their strength, not in the church, but in Jesus Christ and God's faithfulness and the power of his word. And guess what that will do? That will impact the church and the family and culture. Amen? That's why. This is so important, this passage. Chapter 15, verses 13 through 15. According the commandment we read or the, the statement we read in chapter 14 that Caleb asked, chapter 15, verse 13. According to the commandment, of the lord of joshua he gave to caleb the son of jephunneh a portion among the people of judah Kirath arabah that is hebron Ar- arba the father of anak and caleb drove them drove out from there the three sons of anak sheshai ahiman and talma the descendants of anak and he went up from there against the inhabitants of debir now the name of Devere formerly was known as Fear. The promise. What do we see here in all that ununderstandable un- English? Is God's faithfulness in Caleb's life. That's what we see. His faithfulness. Why? Because Caleb had confidence and faith in the promises of God. And he believed he was going to occupy the land. He believed it. He heard what God had said in the past. He heard Joshua speak it. He heard Moses speak it. And he went to Joshua and said, give me this land, the land that God spoke as a promise to us. And he believed it. Why did he believe it? How did he believe it? How did he step into the land of Judah? By his own might and power? Well, to some degree, yes. He had to walk into the land. He had to mass the people to do the job. But you know how he really did it? A real simple word. Faith. <laughs> now, that, that's kind of a confusing word, faith. Because sometimes people think, well, I hope so. Let me tell you something. That's not faith. That's not faith. Faith is not, I hope so. No, no. Faith is trusting the promises of God and relying upon the grace of God, which is sufficient for you to do the work of God and enter into the land to conquer for God. That's faith. I love this definition of faith. Two parts. Intellectual assent, or agreement, and trust. So when you think of the word faith, you need to think of synonyms. A synonym for faith is trust. A synonym for faith is confidence. I always go to the theme or the song and the sound of music. I have confidence and confidence alone. Baloney! It's a wonderful, beautiful song, but it's not true. If you have confidence and confidence, you're going to lose. You will fail. But faith is confidence and trust in what? God? What else? What, say again. His word, what else? His spirit, Christ in me, amen, the hope of glory. Who do you think Caleb had his confidence in? Confidence? He's 85 years old. Give me a break. The guy could probably hardly walk across the threshold of the door. No, not really. He was a strong man physically, but he was strong in faith. Confidence and trust in God. God's word, God's truth, and God's history. Powerful stuff, because he experienced it and he knew it. Intellectual assent is believing something to be true. You really believe the Bible is true? (laughs) That's what some of the questions my granddaughters are getting asked. Really? You think that book is true? Hmm. Trust is actually relying on the fact that something is true. So I want you to stand up for a second. Just please stand up. This is so silly, but that's okay. Do you believe now that when you sit back down, you won't hit the floor? So sit down. Oh, you trusted me. Oh, some of you are still standing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Trust is acting upon that which you believe is true. You believe it's true, and so you sit down. Why? Because you know that seat's going to hold you up. It's based on truth. Faith is not this nebulous thing that you say, well, oh, I hope so, like I said. No, it's based on the truth of who God is, his character, etc. Truth. Truth, depending on something that is true. To depend on with, listen, full trust and confidence. Wow. Does that mean you're going to know all the steps? Does that mean you're going to have a, an outline from A to Z with all the subpoints? No, that's not what it means. It means you need to understand who God is, You need to understand His character. And you need to understand the basic mandates in God's Word. And when you have those down, as it were, you can begin to walk, what? In faith. Faith is not blind. Doesn't mean you know all the steps. But guess what? The Word of God is a light unto my, a lamp unto my, just enough, To show you out there. Because guess what? If God showed you the end of the path, you'd go and hide in the closet. Amen? You would! If He showed you everything your life is going to encounter in the days to come, and He lit that all up for you, you'd say, no way, Jose, I ain't going there. You would not do it. I know what I'm like. I know what you're like as human beings. God gives us enough light And faith to say, Lord, I will walk in faith with you. Caleb had seen enough that he knew he could ask God to take the hill country filled with giants. Why? Because he had seen God do mighty things. Lord, give me this land. Guess what God did? (laughs) Sent him back to the east side? No, he gave him the land. Wow. Dr. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. Interesting read, but I love this phrase. I remember hearing it in college. Faith, faith, only becomes faith in the act of obedience. Faith only becomes faith in the act of obedience. What does that mean? Well, in a practical way or an illustrative way, let's say this. If I was to set a plank from here to there, 12 inches wide, 2 inches thick, and have you stand up here and tell you, I would like you to walk from here to there. You say, and I'd say, can you do that? And you'd say, yes, I can. And then I would stand with my arms crossed and wait. Do you have enough faith to trust that you can do that? Let me walk across. So I would walk across and come back. And then I would say, now, do you have enough faith? Do you believe you can do that? And they would say, yes, and I would cross my arms again. And would wait. And I would say to them, what are you waiting for? Well, I don't know. Well, that's not faith. Faith is, faith only becomes faith, listen, in the act of obedience. You say you have faith, and let me see your works. Let me see your deeds. Let me see your faith in action. Caleb had faith. He stepped out on the plank. He asked God for the promise, and he went in and kicked the Anaconites out of the land. The giants, that's pretty powerful stuff. I like movies. <laughs> some of them are good, some of them aren't so good. But um, Harrison Ford. You, some of you know what I'm talking about. He's standing on the edge. There's this big chasm out in front of him. And how do we cross? And he says, a man of, a man of faith must take the first step. He's looking at this chasm. He can't see a thing except this big chasm. So what does he do? Turns around and go back to the entrance of the cave. No. He believes what his father has said to him. Please don't take this to any more context than it needs to. It was just a great illustration for me. He believed what his father had said in the book, and he stepped out and walked across, and he saw nothing except the chasm. But he had enough information that he believed what his father was telling him was true. And he stepped out. Well, guess what? You're not a character in Raiders of the Lost Ark. You are characters and participants in the great holy ark of God. Amen? You're part of that inheritance. You're part of that faithfulness. God wants you to step out, not in stupidity, but in intelligence and in trust and in confidence. John, Joshua 14, verse 12. I love this. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out. I love this. Just as the Lord has said. Wow. So what's the challenge here? James 122. But prove yourselves to be doers of the word, not merely hearers. I love this, who delude themselves. Hmm. Faith only becomes faith in the act of obedience. God doesn't call you to walk and then let you sit. Well, I guess he does. He can let you sit in the chair. That's not faith. I believe that's compromise. And that is the scheme of the devil. Hmm. A biblical definition of faith does not apply just to salvation. You tr- For by grace are you saved through... Faith, and listen to what it says, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is the empowerment of God. Grace through faith. Okay? It is equally applied, listen, to each and every moment in your daily life. That same grace that brought Caleb and the people across the Jordan into the land is the same grace and faith that caused Caleb to say, give me this hill. Same faith. He believed God, he saw God, and now he's going to trust God again because of the promise. And I think that's important. You know, you, I'm sure you've read the, the faith chapter in chapter 11 of Hebrews. The word of God in Hebrews eleven six 6 says, For without faith, confidence, and trust in God, it is what? Impossible to please Him. He said, oh Lord, I have faith in you. Well, then walk across the plank. I have faith in you. Then ask me for the hill country. I have faith. And you sit at the kitchen table with your scrambled eggs and bacon and do nothing. That's not faith. That's compromise. God's not called us to that. Colossians says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. What? So, in the same way, walk. How did you come to Christ? By grace through faith, trust, and confidence. How are you to walk? How are you to enter into daily life? Just like Caleb did. He walked. He believed God. He saw God's faithfulness. He trusted God. He had confidence in God. And he says, God, I'm going to walk across the river. I'm going to go to the mountain, and you're going to give it to me. It wasn't a demand. It was a request. He believed God. Wow, wow. We are to agree with God, the truth of God's word, and we are to allow ourselves, we are to, how do I say this? We need to ask God to take his word that it might transform us. That's not easy, that's work. It's difficult. It's challenging. But that's what God is asking us to do. You think Caleb thought it would be, you know, just a flowery bed of ease to go across and conquer the the giants? No, he knew it would be hard. But he had faith to believe God, and he stepped out in that. And I think that's important. To be transformed. His life was transformed by God's faithfulness. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove. Did did Caleb prove something? Yes, he did. What did he prove? That he was a mighty man? No. He proved that he was faithful, and he proved that he could trust God's faithfulness. And guess what happened? The hill country was his. The place that everybody ran away from because they were afraid of the giants became the land that was conquered. Why? Because he was transformed by the very nature and character of who God is. That's what Romans 12 is all about, and be transformed. Why? That you might prove, that you might test out that which is the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. It's not enough. Man, I'm going to get in trouble here. It's not enough to just trust Jesus as your Savior. And I'm not talking about lordship, salvation here. It's not enough to just come to Christ. Why does He leave you here? Why when you come to Christ, doesn't you just go, and you're home in heaven? Why does that not happen? Why? Because He wants you to be in this world and not of it for the very purpose of being a testimony of God's faithfulness. That's why Joshua, the book is here. It was for the Israelites to say, God is faithful, God is faithful, God is faithful. His promises are true. He's real. He does what he says. And we can look back at that and see it actually take place. And that's what we got to do every day. Hmm. We'll get into something that's important about that in just a moment. 85 years old. He believed God. He had faith in God's word. He had faith in God's promises. He had faith in the very presence of God in his life. Verse 15, chapter 15. And he went up from there against the inhabitants of Debir. He got off his duff and he went in the power of God. I have to admit that there are times in my life that I'm just content. (laughs) I'm just content to read my Bible. I'm content to enjoy the fellowship of God's people in church. I'm content to go to my home group. Praise God for all those things. I'm not putting them down. But God didn't call you to be content. He didn't call me to be content. He called us to be people like Caleb who would go and trust God to, listen, conquer the giants. So my question is this. Who are the giants in your life? Every single individual here this morning me included, have giants in my land. How do we conquer them? <laughs> Blood, sweat, and tears. No. Trust, confidence, and faith in God, in his grace, in the indwelling Holy Spirit. And I think that's so incredibly important, trusting God. Wow. Be steadfast, immovable, always, not sometimes, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing confidence and trust and faith, knowing that your faith, your toil, your work, your striving, and striving, toil, those are, those, are, those are sweat words. It's not in vain. Listen, God's people, your, as children, as evangelicals, as followers of Jesus, we need to sweat. Not on our own strength, but in God's. You think when Caleb's men went to the hill country, they didn't sweat? They didn't get dirty? They didn't get dusty? They didn't shed blood? No, they did. It was a sacrifice to walk that way. And guess what those around them saw when Caleb went into the land? They saw the mighty hand of God. They saw the power of the Father. They saw the mightiness of the the God of creation. They were living testimonies of God's faithfulness and justice and truth and power. That's what God wants us to do in our world. When people see us conquering the giants in our hearts, and our lives, in our families, guess what God does? He uses that as a light and testimony to our communities. Some will look at you and scoff at you and mock you, and some will say, how did you do that? And that's the testimony that God wants, because not all the Canaanites responded to God. Caleb, the father, or excuse me, the fighter. We saw him go into the land. Now we see Caleb in 16 and 17, the father. He's going to offer a reward to, to the mighty men who are willing to go and fight. And uh, uh, Excuse me, Othniel, the first of the judges, as you read in Judges, was the one that came. Hmm. So what's the point here? I think for me it was, Caleb didn't do this all by himself. He said, I want to conquer the land. He went to conquer the land, and then he says, who will fight with me? And Othniel came to him. And guess what happened? The land was conquered. So what's the point? I think the point is this. Look around the room here this morning. Go ahead, look around. Who, who's sitting by you? Yeah, you, you know that. I, I'm being a little obnoxious here, I know. But what's the point? The point is, are there mighty hill countries in Ephrata. Are there? Are there giants in your land? You better believe there are. You know them way better than I do. Are there giants in your neighborhood? Are there giants in your school? Are there giants in your employment? Are there giants in the community? Yes. What's God calling you to do? He's calling you to be together like Caleb and says, who will go into this land and help me conquer these giants? Who will be with me to do this? Othniel came and Caleb and said, I will do this. Wow, there's Caleb the fighter. So what does this mean? I think this is so significant. The point is this. Look again, this is family. There are other believers in our community, in your community, who trust Jesus and want to walk with him and live for him? We're part of that family. Okay? And I think that's important. It's about community. And let me share something with you that I think is so significant. Um, how many of you know the 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 truth, of, or not truth, the story or the, the old series, The Lone Ranger? Some of you are too young to know that. But how many of you know who the Lone Ranger was? Yeah, yeah. you all know who the Lone Ranger... The Lone Ranger was stupid. Did you know that? He was a dummy. You know, he had a beautiful white horse and the mask and the silver bullets and all that. How many times in every episode when I was watching as a kid did he get tied up, thrown in jail, cast into a river because he was stupid? He just tried to do everything all by himself. And guess who bailed him out every episode? Tonto. You know why? Because the Lone Ranger was a Lone Ranger. And God, because of what we see in chapter 15, is not calling us to be Lone Rangers to conquer the giants. Caleb says, Who will go to this hill country? And I will give you a reward. And this man came and those with him, and they went as an army of God, and they can't conquer the giants. Don't conquer your community, your neighborhood by yourself. Don't conquer your school by yourself. Don't conquer your employment by yourself. You are connected. The body, listen, Ephesians says, the body being fitted and held together. What does it say? By that which every joint supplies. Every part supplies. Being connected and fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies well, I'm not very smart, or I'm too old, or I'm not very talented. I only graduated from the ninth grade, or whatever stupid, silly excuses we give ourselves. Who is in you? Who is in you? Christ! Who empowers you? The Holy Spirit, who has been given to you. When Jesus went to heaven, he says, I'm going to send a helper, the mighty one to be with you until I come again. Wow. We see him, the warrior. Now we see him as the father in verses 18 and 19. And I love this so much. Not only did he see the conquering land, but he he passes on his blessing. His daughter comes to him and she says, give me a blessing. And so he gives her the land. He passes on the reward of his obedience. And not only does he give her the desert land, but she comes to him, she gets off her donkey, and she says, Dad, give me more than the desert. Give me water. And guess what he does? He gives her water. Why? Because he passed on the riches and the glory of the inheritance of what he had been promised by God the Father. And he passed it on. I really enjoyed raising my kids, sometimes I really blew it, stupid things sometimes, but you know what the blessing of is being a grandparent? I get to do it again, only better, <laughs> amen? amen? Family of God, you are not all related by genetics, but you are related genetically because of Jesus Christ in you, amen? Amen? The same genes of Jesus, as it were, are the same genes that are in all of you who know Him. And so you are brothers and sisters, fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, grandmas and grandpas to one another. And God is asking you to pass on the blessings of what God has done in your life to those around you, whether they be old or young. This is a family affair. You belong to Grace Point. This is a family affair. Give me water. So we see inheritance. We see faithfulness. Man, I'm just droning on here, aren't I? Point number three, 20 through 63. And listen, to I'm not going to read this because I can't pronounce three-quarters of these words very well. But what we see here in 20 through 63, very simply, is this. We see the Southland, 20 through 32. We see the foothills, 33 through forty-seven. We see the hill country, verses 48 through 60, and then comes one of the most perplexing verses in all of the Old Testament. Verse 61, the wilderness. Look at verse 20, 15. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the people of Judah according to their clans. Now go to verse 62. Thanks, elder, for giving me this passage. I really appreciate it. But the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of Judah, could not drive out. They could not drive out. So the Jebusites dwell in the land of the people of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. What? What is this verse? Joshua, why did you put this in here? Ah. To be honest with you, this verse perplexes me still, but I think I have some answers or at least some suggestions anyhow. Why? Why record this? For me, for my personal application, it is this. I believe it is a call, listen, to perseverance and steadfastness. What? It says they are in the land. They couldn't kick them out. How often do I believe I've taken care of something in my life and it comes back and returns? Hmm. Every time I try to do it in my own strength, I realize I fail. So here are some maybes. And I'm only suggesting these are maybes because in all my study, I couldn't come up with this is what this really means in its depth. But I think practically it has some meaning to us, okay? Because I believe Joshua put it in there to call the people to steadfastness and perseverance because they weren't, Jerusalem wasn't rid of. The Jebusites. Here it is. Some of the maybes. Maybe they were weak. Ever been there before? Weak in your faith? Yeah, okay. Maybe they were just weary. They were tired of fighting battles. I don't know. Maybe they were. Maybe they were preoccupied with other things that uh, drew their attention away from the battle that was at hand. Ever been preoccupied with other things in the battles? Yeah, okay. Maybe they thought they didn't have the stuff to drive them out. Maybe, I don't know. So they weren't going to mess with it, they just going to let it happen. Maybe they were just naive. Maybe they just thought, well, you know, we have this whole area surrounded, and they're covered, and let's just let them stay here. And, uh, well, you know what? That's just naive. I don't think that was one of them. Maybe they thought they could compromise and live together. I don't know. But you know something? This verse speaks practically to our lives. Are there things in our lives that we are not steadfast and perseverant in to rid like the, Jerusalem, like the people of Jerusalem were to do with the Jebusites? I don't know if that's the application that's intended necessarily, but I think it's one of them. Walking, listen, walking, your Christian life, living day to day, following Jesus, being obedient, doing all of those things, not out of duty, but out of, out of relationship, is hard. Living like Jesus and for Him is not a flowery bed of ease. It takes work. Well, I thought it was by grace alone. Yeah, when you come in, you have to walk by grace guess what who is who is the one who is out there to destroy and steal from you that's one of his main objectives if not the number one wow obedience here's my point obedience always leads to blessing now think about that obedience Faith and confidence and trust in God, walking out, faith only becomes faith in the act of obedience. Stepping out in God, obeying God, always leads to blessing. I think that's what happened in chapter 15. He believed God, he walked into the land of Judah, and guess what God did? Gave him the land. And there was rejoicing and victory. And he even got to pass on blessings. Wow. What does God promise when we take steps of obedience? Look at Joshua chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, very beginning of the book. What does He promise? Listen to what it says This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on day and night. Then you will be careful to do all that is written therein, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have a good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong, courageous. Don't tremble or be dismayed. Give me a break, Joshua. Yeah, God says, Don't tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let me ask you this. In in Ephrata, in your home, in your community, in Moses Lake, in the county, where where are your wherevers? Wherever you go, what are they? Hmm. Here's a biblical principle I want to end with. Grace fueled obedience. Grace fueled obedience. What's that mean? He who has my commandments, John 14:21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, obeys them, trusts me, has faith in them, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and I will love him, Jesus is speaking, and I will love him, and I love this next part, and I will, listen, manifest myself to him. When was the last time Jesus manifested himself to you? I had one this morning, driving in my car, screaming at the top of my lungs in praise to Jesus. He manifested Himself to me. He was real in my car this morning. He is faithful and true. My God is faithful and true. And He said it again and again and again and again. That's just a simple manifestation of the reality of God. John 10.10. My sons asked me this this yesterday. Dad, are you going to have John 10.10 in your message? Because you almost always do. I said, I'll work it in there somewhere. <laughs> I love this verse. The enemy comes to steal and to destroy, but I am come that you might have life in this world and life more abundantly. Amen? God is faithful and true. Dr. Warren Wearsby said this We overcome the enemy and gain the inheritance, Judah's inheritance, the same way as Caleb. Number one, we must be wholly, completely yielded to the Lord. We must know his promises and believe them, act on them. We must keep heart and mind fixed on the inheritance, fixing your eyes on Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him is now set down at the right hand of the Father. Who's pleading for you? Who's advocating? Jesus is. We must depend on the Lord to give us victory. Trust in the Lord with... All your heart. Don't lean on your own brain. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will what? Direct. Direct you. Do you believe that? Well, then, would you please get out of your seats and go do something? You know what I'm saying. Be in your community, don't just live in it. That's work. That's part of the reason I'm here to challenge you. I'm going to go home and sit on my chair. And I don't want you to, and you don't want to. And how do we do that? The body being fitted and held together. You guys have gone through a hard, hard year and a half. I don't envy you at all. But guess what? Jesus is faithful and true. Every word he says is true. His mercies are new every morning. Jesus is faithful and true. You need to begin like you have been to start encouraging one another, even the more as we see the day of Jesus Christ. Considering how to do that. That's the first step. That's the first step of being Caleb's people in your community in your home in your neighborhood encouraging one another even more let's pray Father God thank you for the patience of the people here I pray that you just would encourage them that you would enrich them Lord that you would empower them to be faithful people That you would cause them to step out and demonstrate their faith. That you would empower them with grace empowerment. And Lord, I pray that in the days and weeks to come, as they continue through this tough struggle, that you would just unite them in such a unique way. That there would be refreshing, there would be renewal, Father. In their personal lives, that there would be renewal in the leadership's lives, that there would be renewal in the family of God here, and Lord, that we would, be, they would be, we would be encouragers of one another, and we would begin reaching out to conquer the giants, Lord. We just thank you that your grace is sufficient, your love is total and complete, and we thank you because your faithfulness is absolute. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's a promise to help us remember um, as we close our times together and go out into the week. From Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful.